Welcome to session 112 of Scanner School. We have a great interview for you today. And again, as a reminder, all session notes can be found on our website at scannerschool.com slash session 112. So let's get this train rolling. Welcome to the Scanner School, a podcast dedicated to the scanner radio hobby. Class is about to begin. Here is your host, Phil Lichtenberger. So welcome to Scanner School. My name is Phil Lichtenberger. My amateur call sign is W2LIE, and this is Scanner School. We teach you everything you need to know about the scanner radio hobby. So today we are talking with Joe Curtis. And Joe is in the Milwaukee area, I believe, and he monitors freight, uh, Amtrak, and, and anything that kind of passes through in his backyard geographically, not physically. And it's a good introduction to basically what you can hear and and how you can monitor them, not only from your scanner, but also using some software as well, which is really cool, which really excites me about this. Now, in my local backyard here, I've got basically the Long Island Railroad, and it's a commuter line, and it runs basically from Manhattan to Montauk, which basically means from one end of Long Island to the other end of Long Island. And only at night, basically, do they share the line with like a freight train. So it's really nothing exciting here except the day-to-day grind of the Long Island Railroad. Well, where Joe lives, it's a lot different. He has, like I said, he's got freight and he's got commuter rails. So he's got more stuff going on. He's got a bit more excitement. And I think he's more qualified to talk about monitoring the rails than I am because he's got a different environment. So this is a pretty long interview. We, we cover a lot of stuff and uh, I want to jump right into it. So with that, let's talk with Joe Curtis about uh, monitoring the rails. All right, Joe, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to be on Scanner School. I know that uh, we we kind of had a little bit of a scheduling conflict. So I think the third time is finally a charm. Thank you so much, Joe, for uh, taking the time to be here today. Uh, you're very welcome, Phil. I know it's uh challenging with uh, schedules, but uh, I was able to uh, finally work it out. So, yep, third time's a charm. Yeah, well, I definitely appreciate it. I'm sure everybody else listening will appreciate it too, because this is a topic that where I'm from, there really isn't um, too much excitement in. So, uh, you know, it's we're going to talk about scanning uh, rail, rail systems and railroads. So here, at least where I am, it's it's basically just a Long Island Railroad commuter rail line that runs through Long Island, goes from all the way out east, all the way to uh, Penn Station, New York City, and also sharing the line as well. There is um, some freight, but they basically run on the overnight. I think it's like one uh, one line that kind of comes through here and uh, does does a trip, but. It's nothing really exciting. Uh, how is the rail system over by you? Is it mostly commuter or is it mostly freight or how does it? how is the layout by you? Here in southeastern Wisconsin, we have very limited commuter rail. Uh, it's mostly all freight. Uh, the only commuter rail we have is the long distance Amtrak train that go across the country. And then uh, we do have a commuter Amtrak train that goes between Chicago and Milwaukee. It goes approximately 10 times a day. So in between Chicago and Milwaukee, um, there's an Amtrak train that uh, uh, goes between those two cities and takes only about 90 minutes. Um, I've ridden it a few times and skipping the traffic of Chicago is always nice, especially if you want to do some sightseeing or stuff like that, visit the museums. It does beat uh, sitting in traffic. Just put on a 
set of headphones and enjoy the trip. So it's not not a bad hour and a half. I know from here to New York City, it's depending on if you take the local or you know they have the express, but it's about an hour from uh, from Dora to Penn Station. It's always always really cool. So. Mm-hmm. Um, what really got you started? Let's let's start off even early. What got you started with the scanner radio hobby? Was it the fact you can listen to rails or was it was just something that you picked up because of the scanner radio hobby? My dad had a, a realistic 20 channel base mobile or base scanner and uh, it was sitting up on the desk one day and I grabbed it and kind of playing around with it and figured out I could listen to the local police fire. Um, I was intrigued with uh, Milwaukee, uh, Milwaukee being uh, the largest city close to me. They were on the UHF system and you could hear it uh, loud and clear out here in Waukesha a good 20 minutes away. So I listened to that, come home from school, listen to that. And then one day I kind of stumbled upon the railroad and I was like, wow, this is pretty cool. Um, we have a main track, a freight train, um, one single main line that goes through Waukesha. And uh, it's about 20 to 30 trains a day. And I figured I could listen to that. And then uh, after that, I kind of got my own handheld uh, Pro 95 from Radio Shack and then went to the unit and models. And um, now, uh, I have an SDS 100, and I still um, do have a BCD 325 P2, but I am not using that uh, as nearly as the SDS 100. Okay, so you're using the SDS 100 just because it's newer radio, or is a radio like that required to do the monitoring of the rail systems? Not, not at all. Uh, you can use a basic BC 125 AT. You do not need a expensive scanner at all to monitor the railroads. Um, just as long as the scanner is um, VHF from basically 160 to 162 megahertz is where the roads operate in the United States. Up in Canada, there's a few frequencies up in the 159 range, but those are not used here in the United States. Yep. Okay. You just need a basic... Just a basic analog scanner. So what yep. about, uh, I mean, I, I heard a lot of stuff about rail systems going to NXDN. Do you have any of that in your in your area or use use pretty much all analog? None whatsoever. In fact, I was down in Chicago probably a couple weeks ago, and Chicago is basically the epicenter of where all the main major railroads combine or crisscross where they can interchange traffic with one another. And even in Chicago, there is very little use of NXDN. If you uh, go to the FCC licenses, they've got emissions designators for NXDN use, but it is not in widespread use. Very little, uh, maybe in there, but there is none uh, in our area. And I always kind of keep my keep my scanner open as in doing both analog and digital um just in case you know one day they do decide to switch over to the nxdn um then i'm not missing anything but i think it's still going to be a few years away uh, because 
Um, with railroads, they're kind of like a lot of interoperability needs to happen. A lot of railroads interchange with one another. Here in, in Wisconsin, where I'm at, we actually have a short line railroad. Short line railroad is basically a, a railroad that falls and does a lot of switching. And a lot of the larger railroads got out of it because it's it's not as much as a moneymaker for them. But with that being said, the smaller railroad has to be able to talk to the Canadian National. Um, that's the main railroad that goes through my, my city that I live in. And there's a lot of interoperability that needs to happen where they need to talk to the dispatcher to tell them, hey, I'm coming on to your train tracks. And then they give them the okay that they can come on to the train tracks. So it's a lot of... Uh, interoperability. And when they do decide to switch over to NXDN, um, it's going to have to happen almost all at the same time or very close to it to make sure that the railroads have those capabilities with the radios. Okay. So, I mean, let's let's look at it this way too. You're listening to the railroads basically with a scanner radio. I mean, is does this categorize you as a rail fan or is rail fanning more of like being there on the scene and taking photographs or is this just part of like the rail fan hobby that kind of touches in with the scanner radio hobby? I mean, how would you define this? Yeah, the scanner, the rail fan hobby kind of goes hand in hand with the scanner hobby. It makes it more enjoyable if you have a scanner. If you have a scanner, you're able to listen to the dispatcher telling, saying, hey, this train such and such is your, you've got a signal that you can go ahead and go down the line and a lot of times the dispatcher on some of the rail lines will tell you if they're going to meet another train and they'll if you hear it over the radio you'll you'll hear that as well also there are what they call defect detectors basically they're instruments located alongside the railroad tracks that can detect flaws They've got like heat or thermal detectors where they can detect cracks in the, in the wheels. Some of them um, are able to detect dragging equipment. And then it lets the train know as it passes that detector that, hey, there's a, a hot wheel or a hot brake. Um, you're going you're gonna to need to stop the train and check that out at such and such an axle. So it counts the axles, and basically the conductor has a sheet of paper that tells them what car, the consist of all the cars that are in the train, and he can look on that paperwork and kind of see where that axle is in correlation to the car that could be the problem. That's pretty neat. Yep, so you, you can pick those up. With just a regular scanner, it's usually on the uh, railroad frequency um, assigned to that particular line. When you say line, you mean the actual like rail path, right? Correct. Okay. And I do I do have some limited knowledge. Typically, a rail line is called a subdivision. So there's um, here in Waukesha, we're part of the Canadian National. Waukesha subdivision. They named it after the city of Waukesha. And this subdivision covers almost, I'd say, probably well over 100 miles. Um, it starts up in Fond du Lac, Wisconsin, which is about 50 miles from Waukesha, and it goes all the way down, down past the state line into Illinois. 
Um, so uh, a lot of times railroads are named in subdivisions. Okay. And it makes it a lot easier for the train crews. They'll be told to go to each subdivision has a frequency assigned to it. And a lot of times uh, radio reference is a good spot to see most states have railroad sections. And um, that's the that's the best spot to find the particular frequency for what subdivision or, or line they're using. Okay, so you recommend going into radio reference and just going into the state or I guess the Providence, wherever, you know, for Canada, I guess overseas would be something different. It's easy to talk what we know about in our own backyards. So do you recommend just going into radio reference and, and dumping in the railroad frequencies for the area? Or do you kind of do that plus a search and look at all of the allotted frequencies? Do you put the radio into search mode um, or scan mode? I mean, it's, it's a lot of questions in one. But if somebody were to say like right now, like, OK, you know, you've you've intrigued me. I'm interested now in listening to the rails. What would you tell them the first thing to do when when setting up their scanner? So definitely look in radio reference, typically under the state uh, level. I'm actually bringing that up right now. Usually it's under area-wide frequencies under the state. And here in Wisconsin, it says Wisconsin Railroads. And it specifies each railroad, Canadian National Going to Northern Santa Fe, Canadian Pacific, Union Pacific, it lists out all the frequencies. If they don't have access to radio reference, what I suggest, what I did originally, I just put my scanner in search mode from 160 to 162. It doesn't go all the way up to 162. It's like 161, I believe 610 is the last frequency that they are allocated. The American Association of Railroads, the AAR, is the, it's a group, a national interest group that kind of helps correlate the frequencies. And then they're, it's an association, all the railroads belong to it. And basically, it's kind of a trait. Right, right, right. So it, basically, it's it, they have, I'm looking at right here now on Radio Reference in the wiki, it says Railroad Radio Display, the transmit and receive frequency as American Association of Railroad Channel Numbers. For example, these numbers will be referred to over the air as 1616 for AAR Channel 16 or 1180 for AAR Channels 11 and 80 in full duplex. So dispatch transmits on one channel and the train transmits on the other. So if you go over to, and we'll, we'll link to this definitely in the session notes for uh, the podcast today, but if you go to wiki.radioreference.com and just do a search for railroad, you'll uh, be presented with basically a list of all the channels. And it's a pretty extensive list. I mean, it's it runs from AAR channel two all the way up to channel 97. It looks like they have have a couple of the first ones, two, three, four, five, and six are Canada use only. And then the last one would be share with Marine. But they also have uh, a couple of UHF channels that are in here as well, which is interesting. And I know looking at my local area here too, uh, here on Long Island, I mean, New York is a huge state. So there's there's a ton of areas, but I, I scroll down here to, to Long Island Railroad. And basically, you know, we have they, they call it Channel 1, Channel 2, Channel 3, which somebody, thankfully, I guess now renamed the alpha tags to LI-18, LI-89, LI-77. Uh, I guess 
aligns now with the AAR channels, which was never that way in the radio reference. But we also have maintenance facilities, which are on UHF, which is really neat. And then there's also in here too, you know, we have uh, Metro North, which runs to the north of here. And then we have New York and Atlantic Railway, which is the freight lines that run through Long Island. Again, those are also finally been tagged correctly with NYA23, NYA42. So they're correct, AAR associated frequency, which is always cool to have. Typically, I mean, we have a nice set of frequencies, a nice layout, a, a nice channel plan. Sometimes too, we have things that are that are added to it, right? Like here locally, we have the MTA, which is the Metropolitan Transportation Authority. And the MTA PD and the LIRRPD, they kind of you know work hand in hand. Uh, but you could also have you know, this is where the radio reference database comes in really well too, because you have the opportunity to have a subset, right? So the the MTA here is building out a P25 phase two system, which unfortunately is rumored to be a full encrypted system once they get things up and running. Uh, we'll, we'll wait and see what happens that way. But, you know, there's, there's a state New York metro system that has railroad police on it, and that's a P25 system. Uh, looking at the Vermont rail, Railway, they're, uh, they're on the One Voice network, which is a multi-state DMR network. So it looks like, you know, even though most of railroad and, and I guess the road channels, dispatch channels, right-of-ways and all that other stuff would be on VHF, there is still a possibility, uh, depending where you are, I guess, and how populated it is, uh, the opportunity to uh, have the agencies go over to a uh, a trunk system. But typically, I mean, when you're listening, what is it that you're mostly listening to? Is it just a dispatcher who, I guess, works in a rail yard talking to the trains on the line and coordinating when they can, can't move and when there's going to be switching going on? Or are you able to hear, you know, train to train or... I guess, um, from the head of the train to the tail of the train, what, what typically is the type of conversations that you are listening to on your scanner? Typically, I'm listening to the dispatcher. Uh, the dispatcher can be hundreds and hundreds of miles away. Through some people that I know here in the Canadian National Railroad Dispatch Center is in Homewood, Illinois. So they cover pretty much the whole entire United States um, for their United States operations. So you can be hearing a dispatcher sitting in a office, basically keying up a tower. And the nearest tower, I think, to me is a few miles away. So I usually hear the dispatcher pretty well. I do suggest if you are rail fanning, do get a external antenna um, because sometimes the uh, rubber duck is not quite enough. One, railroad's narrow-banded. Um, I know you've talked about narrow-banding. The signal strength did get uh, weaker, and it is definitely harder to pick up those uh, defect detectors um, that I was talking about earlier. It will, I know around here, um, those defect detectors are only putting out maybe half a watt or a watt. It's just enough power so that the train engine can hear it so it's not a whole lot of power and then you're also uh i also hear when they're doing switching movements i'm hearing the conductor talking to the engineer telling them how many cars to go back just safety procedural things so he doesn't go too quick into a car and cause a derailment you're hearing the other trains if they are passing another train they usually are looking at that train just to give them a cook. Um, they call it a roll-by 
checking to make sure nothing is out of the ordinary, no vandals or people trying to mess around with the train um, are some of the things they're looking for. And then also just making sure uh, the air hoses and everything are connected. Talking about the UHF frequencies, they're called here on the freight railroads. They use a device that replaced the caboose, and it's called a It's a couple of different names. Sometimes they're called FRED's flashing rear end device or EOD end of train device and EOT end of train. Several different names, but it's basically a marker on the back of the train that blinks red um, when it's dark out or very low visibility. So if a train were to come upon them, uh, they can they'll know that's the back of the train um, and that that operates in the 450 UHF 452 I don't remember off the top of my head what the frequency is but you'll hear a, a, a data burst and a data blip and actually kind of an interesting thing with that somebody developed some software and I was able to take my PSR 400 with a discriminator tap, plug it in, and I was able to use that software, and it was telling me the brake pressure and all the data that was sent from that up to the engineer. All right, we'll be back after this short break. This session of Scanner School is sponsored by East Coast Pagers. Now, East Coast Pagers is one of my online companies, and we are a Unication, Apollo, and Swiss phone dealer serving the North American market. Now, if you're looking for a personal use pager or one for your department, we can get you a quote at the very best prices. So why does a company like East Coast Pagers support Scanner School? I think that every Scanner Radio user should at least put one pager in their collection of radios. The reason why is very simple. It frees up your scanner to just do scanning, and then you have one radio that's dedicated to your local fire activity. Now with a pager, you can have voice storage. You can do tone outs. You can keep it silent. You can go back the next day and listen to what you've missed overnight. It's more than you can do with an out-of-the-box scanner. And with today's pagers having multiple frequencies and even having multiple channels in a scan list, like the Unication G1 can do eight channels in a scan list. It has 64 memory channels, and out of the box, it comes with 11 minutes of stored voice and a desktop charger. The G2s to G5s, they do P25 phase one and phase two in simulcast environments with stored voice, paging on conventional NP25. Oh, and they're upgradable too to DMR type one and type two. They are more rugged than today's consumer-based scanners. And with a pager like a Swiss phone S-Quad, you won't even realize you're wearing one. It'll help keep you informed as to what's going on in your neighborhood. So again, eastcoastpagers.com or contact me directly, phil at eastcoastpagers.com. Do you have a new scanner? You're having problems understanding how it works? Maybe you're new to the entire Home Patrol database of programming and you can't figure out Sentinel. Did you get a new SDR and you're trying to figure out how to install it or you want to learn how to use Unitrunker, DSD+, maybe set up a Pioware or even just make some changes and you don't understand how this system and the equipment works, the podcast might be great for you, but maybe you need a little bit more of one-on-one help with setting something up. I'm available to do just that with you with our private tutoring sessions. You can book me online by going to scannerschool.com slash consulting for a one-hour session. And it's great because we can actually share computer screens remotely and I can guide you through step-by-step as if I was sitting right next to you. So again, book me for an hour 
at scannerschool.com slash consulting for your scanner radio one-on-one tutoring session. National Communications Magazine is your personal library of scanner, CB, GMRS, FRS, MURS, and two-way radio articles written by the best minds in the business over the past three decades. Your NatCom personal online access account allows you to download the newest issues of America's Hobby Radio Magazine, as well as back issues too. So visit natcommag.com to download your free sample issues and sign up today. That's natcommag.com for National Communications Magazine. Did you know you can help support Scanner School without it costing you any additional money? There's several ways you could do so. One of them is just by sharing the show. If you post a, a podcast session you've enjoyed on your Facebook page, share it on Twitter or retweet our stuff, that's a great way to help promote the podcast. Another way to do so is by going to scannerschool.com support and clicking on one of the banners in there that helps support the podcast. One of them is Amazon. If you click on our Amazon link and you make a purchase from our link, it doesn't cost you anything, but we earn a commission on that sale. If you're looking for software, we've got a great resource for you, Butel Software. I've been using Butel for years. Love their software. And I continue to buy their software today. And you can go directly to the website by going to scannerschool.com slash Butel or by scannerschool.com slash support. Now, again, it doesn't cost you anything extra if you're going to go ahead and buy that software and by using our link. Another method we have is by going to ScannerMaster. I love ScannerMaster. Been going to, uh, they've been getting my business for years when it comes to scanner radios and accessories. Now, again, if you use our link on our website and you go make a purchase at ScannerMaster, we make a commission off that sale. But again, it doesn't cost you anything to help support us using that method. Now, for those of you that want to contribute a little bit more directly, we have a couple ways you could do so. You can donate one time by using our PayPal link. But you can also become a Patreon supporter. By becoming a Patreon supporter, it gives you benefits for supporting our our podcasts and channels and everything else. At the $1 a month level, it's a great way of saying thank you. At the $3 a month level, you will get the podcast early. As soon as the podcast is ready to be published, you'll get it in your own private podcast feed. Now, at the $5 a month level, not only do you get the $3 a month benefits, but you also get a Squelchy sticker pack. Now, Squelchy is our little uh, radio cartoon character that represents Scanner School. Uh, not only do you get the, the, the stickers, but you also get a special monthly Q&A session that follows the general Q&A session I do on YouTube and Facebook just for you guys, just to help you out. So again, you can help support us on Patreon by going to scannerschool.com slash support. And I want to thank the following continuing Patreon supporters. Craig Harper, Dan, Glenn Blum, Glenn Bryden, Guy Lee, Irvin Thibodeau, James Felling, Jeff Block, John Goldenberg, Ken Newberry, Kenneth Fowler, M.T. Bono, Mark Thompson, Mark Beebe, Raymond Hill, Ronnie Bach, Sal Marandola, Scott Vorder, Signals Everywhere, Stephen Sheffield, Todd Glendie, and William Arcan. Now, again, the $5 a month is our best uh, valued tier. And if the Patreon takes their cut, that's like giving us a dollar a week for the benefit of not only getting the podcast early and also getting your own private Patreon supporter live Q&A video session. So again, scannerschool.com slash support. 
All right, welcome back. And this is now part two of the interview. You'll notice that it does sound a little bit different than it did in the first part. Joe actually ran into a bit of a internet connectivity problem. So we finished the interview with him on the phone. So if you're noticing something sounds a little bit different, that's what it is. But as they all say, the show must go on. And here's the rest of the interview with Joe. All right, welcome back. We are continuing our conversation with uh, Joe Curtis. And we're talking about you know monitoring rail systems. So Joe, what... What basically, you know, is required? What do you recommend? Do you recommend uh, somebody starting out and monitoring from the home or is it better off to get a handheld radio with a, you know, a decent antenna like the Diamond, uh, was it the uh, 77CA and, and, and hit, in the, hit in the field or, or what do you, what do you recommend? So you can, you can do both. Uh, you can you can monitor from the home or you can monitor from the road. So generally, you should be DHS propagates pretty well. So you, I live only about a half mile from the rail line here, so I I can pick it up fairly good here at my house. Um, but um, I know a couple of friends. Uh, they live well, ten fifteen miles off the rail line and as long as that railroad has a, a tower um where their tower is located and you can pick it up you basically can use a. sometimes you can use the rubber duck but usually an external antenna is best for the railroads earlier um i kind of went over it a little bit um before um narrow banding kind of caused the signals not to go as far when they were wideband. Narrow banding has reduced how far the signal goes. Um, so you you may need, uh, depending on where you're located and uh, several different factors, you may need an external antenna to listen to the railroad. How far do you typically expect to receive? Because you're saying that, you know, you're fairly close. You've got, um, uh, you know, your friends of yours are about 15 miles off the line. And you were also saying, too, that it's not uncommon, too, to hear a dispatcher who's remotely located somewhere across the state. And I guess the, the transmitters are kind of linked together so that they're coming out the right tower. But how far do you – I mean, you're not going to hear something that's clear across the state when it comes to the, the engines and all that stuff. But how far do you typically uh, pick up when it comes to modeling the rail system? Locomotives, typically I get usually a couple miles, two to three miles the conductor usually maybe a mile. Uh, you may hear them maybe a mile since they're using a handheld um, radio instead of a, um, a mobile that is putting out more power. But yeah, uh, typically typically a two to three miles with a locomotive, um, and then the dispatcher, depending on where you're located and what tower they're able to transmit on, you sometimes can hear them for quite a, quite a distance. I know I can kind of hear them talking to trains in northern Illinois if the, if the propagation, if there's some strong propagation. But usually uh, 20, 25 miles, you can hear the dispatcher talking to trains, but you will not hear the, the actual trains talking back to the dispatcher um, because it's so many different environmental. Basically, it's mostly it's mostly like simplex then, right? So it, it's not 100% through a repeater system, I guess is what you're saying, right? Yeah. So it's right. the, not, the dispatcher, right, the dispatcher comes out the yeah. tower 
And then the yep. locomotive then responds back on the same frequency and the tower is receiving them, but it's not Correct. repeated elsewhere for anybody else on the line to hear. It's just, uh, it is straight simplex point to point most of the time. Correct. Correct. Okay. Yep. And then a lot of times since we're on this point about the dispatcher, a lot of most rail lines actually use DTMF to build uh, the crew will dial a code to open up the repeater so then they can talk to the dispatcher. Or let's say they have an emergency. This has happened a couple of times. They'll be able to dial 911 on their on their radio with the DTMF keypad, and then it'll send an emergency alert tone to the dispatcher and then the dispatcher knows he needs to take this call right away because something has happened, like the train hit a person or something like that. That's very interesting. So it's it's not it's not yeah. that it's an auto patch, but it's a emergency line that basically just flags on the dispatcher's console like there's a uh, an emergency button. So it's kind of like it's where PD presses the man down button or the or the orange yep. button on top of the radio, but the, the mm-hmm. train operators actually got dialed nine one one. So interesting. Yeah, or a different code. Um, I think it it variates from railroad to railroad, but I know around here, um, yeah, they use DTMF uh, quite a bit to um, be able to open up the repeater for the um, so they can talk to the dispatcher. So okay, and then basically, I mean, we we covered quite a bit of what you listen to, but so so typically, what you normally hear would be uh, the dispatcher talking to the the train that's on the line, the train on the line talking back to uh, the dispatcher is variable depending where you are, where the train is, your conditions, your height, your antenna gain, et cetera, et cetera, based on a simplex conversation. You could typically hear the trains talking to each other as they're within passing or within their switching or um, you were even talking about too even across the line you would hear the uh, the automated uh, uh, systems that are on the rail line that, that kind of give diagnostic information and telemetry back to the engine uh, who are they talking to the conductor or the engineer I mean I know there's there's a difference between that right yep so um, the conductor is actually in charge of the train a lot of people think it's the engineer the engineer is actually just operating the train Um, the engineer a lot of times they aren't the ones that are talking on the radio it's the conductor that is answering the radio that's what freight trains uh commuter rail a lot of times it's the conductor talking to uh, the station sometimes it's the conductor talking to the engineer sometimes there's another conductor talking to the other conductor on the on the um passenger trains um but yeah so basically um in the freight freight system there's two guys um and one's the engineer one's the conductor so okay excellent so it sounds like at this point before we get on to something that's really interesting here uh it sounds like this is a very simple entry level type of part of the hobby right so we talked about getting in with a bc 125 at which would be i believe like the bc 126 for those over in australia and uh well they got a whole different type of railroad right they got those trucks that they consider right they just do long haul trucking um but uh i think overseas it would be the 125 x LT. So it's it's a pretty very affordable radio. In fact, it's one I recommend because uh, there was a 75 XLT. Then we had the the new one, the S 
R30C, which I really don't see the point in. But the 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 BC one twenty five AT would be a good one. It's got a BNC connector on it, so you can you know it, it could take a little bit more of abuse the way I feel. Uh, I, I like that connector style better than the SMA. I think I just feel like it's too flimsy. But it seems like for about the hundred dollar point, you could just basically take take that kind of radio, open it up. You could hit the search button on it, which takes you right in the railroad. And even without jumping on radio reference, you could really be enjoying the rail fanning part of the scanner radio hobbies. Is that that's what I'm hearing, right? That is correct. Uh, since the railroads have not migrated to digital yet, um, and who knows when that's going to happen, um, all you need is a basic uh, entry level scanner to enjoy. Um, listening to railroads. Excellent. And if they want to enhance even further, then they could jump on radio reference and then start tagging the frequencies that are based what's in the database. But um, I mean, recommending would either be entering all of the AAR frequencies in this way they're tagged or just running straight through. I, I believe that 125 allows you to do search and scan at the same time. But if you end up on a scan, a search frequency, you won't have it alpha tagged. But it sounds like, you know, like I said, you can kind of customize the radio to to fine tune it for what it is that what you want to get out of the radio. And it looks like, again, too, looking at the radio reference database, everything is pretty much CSQ, right? So there's at least in my neck of the woods. Nothing out here is, well, actually, I, that, that's not true. Amtrak actually has PL tones uh, yep. as well. So I guess you would have to play around with that, which again is another strong case to get into the 125 or the 126, depending where you are, uh, because that radio does add PL, DPL, whereas the 75XLT and the SR30C does not allow for that. So, uh, yep. And again, alpha tagging would be nice to have as well. So it sounds like that it's a very interesting and very fun way to start monitoring something with the scanner radio. And and again, this is kind of one of those things too that I I look for, right? Because we always hear, you know, somebody is going to be, uh, you know, in the crowd that's saying encryption, 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 it's killing the hobby. I can't listen to anything anymore. And when they say, I can't listen to anything anymore, it means what I translate into is this person can't listen to what it is that they were used to listening to. Not that they can't listen to anything anymore, right? There's still other stuff out there. And for those who are over in the in you know in England and the UK where everything's Tetra and you know fire and police and everything else, and there's very limited to what you can legally listen to, it just goes to prove that there's stuff out there, right? This is analog. It's it's not really encrypted as far as I could tell anywhere. The worst thing you have to worry about really is NXDN, which again you know, can have encryption, but it seems like there's, there is enough activity out here and, and, um, you know, trains do hit cars and trains do derail. And we've heard of things where, you know, they're carrying freight and, and freight can explode, you know, depending what they're carrying. Mm-hmm. So there is yep. an opportunity out there that, yeah, it may be routine, just like a PD and a fire may be routine. Uh, but you do have that chance to have a little bit of excitement listening to, uh, the railroads. So I definitely wouldn't count it out. And especially here where I am, my PD went encrypted. But, you know, listening to the rail lines, you'll know like a car is stuck on the track or or a pedestrian or you had a jumper that jumped off, you know, and, and got hit by a train. You'll still know that that's going on because the railroad frequencies are there, whereas PD yep. no longer is. So this is a great, um, this is just a great point to make, whereas 
there's still ways out there to kind of get the information that you're starving for just by listening to things a little bit way. So that's that's what makes the railroad uh, pretty interesting to listen to as well. But uh, I, I know there's one more way we can make rail scanning a little bit more interesting. And uh, I'd like you to talk about that too, what uh, ATSC monitor is, that software, and uh, how you would be able to listen to it and kind of what it also adds to the aspect of rail fanning and the scanner radio hobby. So why don't you explain uh, what you can do with this software and and, uh, and uh, I'll let you kind of guide the path on this one as well. As you were saying, so with uh, ATCS Monitor, um, it, it stands for Advanced Train Control System. And basically um, what it does is it allows you kind of like ADSB with aircraft, it gives you a visualization of where a train is at um, in a uh, in an area. Not as doesn't give you like city and state, but it gives you um, basically um, what are called control points, and that's where the dispatcher can control a switch or a signal, and it basically gives a route of where the train is traveling along the line. So. Um, I have mine pulled up right in front of me right now, and there is a southbound freight train that is approaching my city where I live at in Waukesha. And basically, there's a red line that indicates the train, and then as it travels along the line, uh, there's a green line that indicates that the train line is clear. Um, It has a clear signal um, that the train can, can travel along. There's no issues that are, and it's all basically with logic, um, with everything alongside the rails, it would automatically take a signal down um, if it detected there was an unsafe, like a switch was not correctly aligned or there was an opposing train coming and there was a conflict, it would not allow that to happen with all the system logic out there with sensors and everything like that. But what happened was back in the early, or I'd say late um, 90s, early 2000s, was some individuals were able to kind of use um, some radios and basically were able to pick up data bursts that are transmitted in the 900 megahertz band. And they were able to pick this data up and it's unencrypted. So um, it's just like a scanner um, where you could legally receive the signals um, and they were able to make out a display and decipher that information and make a map of where these trains are are traveling. And it's it's pretty neat software. It runs only on Windows. So you'd have you'd have to have a Windows computer um, in order to run it. And um, it's basically a group through, it used to be Yahoo Group, but with the announcement of uh, Yahoo Group um, not being um, supported anymore, they are now all on Groups IO. So the uh, ATCS monitor is now in Groups IO. And that's where you, you have to submit a request to get approved. And then once you're approved, then you can download the software. And then you can look in under the data files to see where you're located. Um, I want to tell people that live over on the East Coast, CSX Railroad, a lot of their uh, communications are now done via cellular or satellite. 
So if you have a CSX line traveling through your neck of the woods, uh, you're probably not going to be able to um, monitor any of the signals. Um, about the past five years, is what CSX has been uh, taking down their radio-controlled signals and transferring it over to satellite and cellular signals or ways to control their signals. And also, um, not all the rail lines have this capability of uh, monitoring where the trains are, are located. But uh, a lot of the main lines, a lot of the busy lines do have that capability um, to monitor uh, where, the, where the trains are traveling. And it's, it's all legal. And then a lot of times what I do is I, since there's no iOS or mobile application for it, um, a lot of times I run it and then I download TeamViewer and then I'm able to remotely monitor um, when I'm trackside to see where the trains are via my phone. So that's how I, I, I view it remotely when I'm trackside. Okay. Yeah, you answered one of my questions on that one because I was wondering if every if every train or every line supported ATCS, but it sounds like – I think out here too, I, I can't be sure because um, uh, I hear a lot of different rumors. Uh, whether or not uh, our local, you know, the Lionel Railroad is using it or not. But you said too, you had to. Have, there was a map on your computer display that tells you basically the markers where the train is currently located, and that's how you're able to find it. So that tells me that you have to have basically you've either had to have created that map, or is, are those maps part of uh, the software already? I mean, how does how does the software know where to draw that line? Is that predetermined? Uh, <laughs> Uh, volunteers create those maps. So, ah, um, okay. the, uh, yep. So there's volunteers, uh, that are, uh, deciphering this data. Um, there's an aggregator, um, taking in, and I forgot to kind of, uh, go over that. So basically there are volunteers with, um, radios alongside the, um, uh, tracks and they have, um, they have a computer, and then they have a radio and an antenna. I actually uh, volunteered to host a server for a few years here uh, along our line. And so I, I had a Motorola Max rack specifically tuned to these data frequencies. And you have to be fairly close to the um, tracks for it to be to pick up. So because it's line of sight, um, because they're up in the 900 megahertz range. So you have to have a antenna, which I had, and then I had a computer, and then um, MaxTrack tuned to the frequencies, and it was plugged in via an iMic into the computer. So we were getting the raw data um, from it and then getting sent over the Internet to a main aggregator then the main aggregator pushes that information out to the um, to the people that want to watch it uh, via a server. So that's how that works, and it's all volunteer basis. And um, there's there's some rumblings when when it goes out um, or it's not working, um, but it's all volunteer and people in the hobby. It's almost created this hobby in itself of watching trains. I got into the ATCS part about six years ago. Um, I, um, I found out that it was available and then um, talked to the person that created the maps and kind of met with him. And he kind of told me what it was all about. 
So. So that's pretty cool. So you don't really need then to have um, the ability to pick up the AT, ATCS. Then it, it sounds like there's um, others out there that are feeding the data to into a central server, and then you're just viewing the trains um, off the central server then using the software. Is that how that works? Correct. Yep. Cool. Uh, you can field monitor if you have a computer and a, um, a radio with a uh, discriminator tap. I did that a little bit mm-hmm. um, when I was uh, playing around with it. Um, and then, unfortunately, not all areas have server coverage. So if your area does not have a server coverage area of that, um, that's really the only way you can monitor the signals is if you field monitor using a radio and um, it plugged into the computer. Uh, okay. So I'm wondering too if you could yep. use an SDR, you know, and then pipe in the audio from the SDR into the software as well using yes, a virtual I, audio I, cable. I've actually seen uh, some people using the SDRs. Um, and in fact, I think a couple of the um, server hosts um, actually have used SDRs instead of old clunky Max Track um, radios. Um, they've actually tuned their SDR to the specific frequency. And then they're able to pick up that data through their SDR and pipe it into the into the software that way as well. So okay, so I guess it sounds like the best way to kind of get started with the ATCS monitoring is basically. Uh, I mean, I know there's the ATCS monitor website, which you can find on Google, and again, we'll link to that as well. But it seems like the best yep. way to do this would be to get started would be. Uh, to jump into the groups.io page for ATCS. And of course, the ATCS website still points to the Yahoo group. So um, yep. I'll, I'll ask you to send yep. me the link to the groups.io and this way I can share that as well and also to try it out. But I guess if you jump into that group, then you'll be able to find out if there's anything basically in your area. You'll be able to download the map files, the software files, and to probably sounds like what you're saying, if I'm hearing you right, is basically get started without actually having to plug in the radio, as long as somebody in your neck of the woods, um, or at least in two parts, right? You have ATCS in your backyard, and there's somebody out there already serving it to the internet so that you can grab it. And if there is ATCS and nobody's serving it, then it will give you the opportunity to kind of either fill in that void or at least play around with it over the air and and get what you're getting at but i mean i'm afraid because i'm looking at this map here that's on uh atcs's uh homepage, uh atcsmon.com and there is a coverage map and uh it says atcs coverage and it looks like you have a nice line that goes from like arizona up through uh michigan and across you know across through pennsylvania and, and maybe through buffalo new york and then down the i-95 corridor on the east coast up through Alabama, Tennessee, and whatnot. But, you know, the area of like New England, Maine, across the Dakotas, Wyoming, Utah, you know, Nevada, Oregon, Washington, Northern California is kind of sparse. So uh, kind of curious if it's if there's anything happening there or it's just not mapped out on, on this image here. So Yeah, that, that map, uh, I can tell you, is pretty old. That was, okay. I think one of the original maps um, when it was first, being implemented um this has been implemented i'd say probably in the mid 1980s is when 80s to uh, 90s was when they really started uh the railroads implemented this and then csx actually was having ducting issues with their 900 megahertz frequencies and that's i believe one of the reasons um they kind of went to cellular kind of um, 
other ways to uh, get that data um, instead of the uh, radio, using the radios to uh, use that. So I, I had read that somewhere they were getting tropospheric ducting with their um, where their sites were, and um, unfortunately they weren't um, able to make it work as well as they they wanted it to. So gotcha. Yep. That's one of the problems with the upper the upper frequencies, but all right, it sounds really mm-hmm. cool. I mean, that's yep. another another rabbit hole to, to kind of fall down into, and another piece it of the is. hobby that uh, can definitely burn hours and hours of your time. But I think it's really cool it that is. you can monitor. You know, it gives you a little bit more of a, of a idea of what's going on there. So now you've got the visual uh, and listening to it again. It's like listening to like you like you said before. You know, ADSB, uh, where it is uh, watching the planes fly. And then also being able to listen to them on the tower or, or as they're going, you know, across the country just to hear if they, they hand off to another uh, AR, another, uh, uh, another tower, you know, a, a part of their route. Or um, even if you're listening to, there's the other protocol that runs, I forget, off the top of my head, I forget what it is, but it runs in the VHF area too in the, in the uh, aviation band where, again, you get some data that comes over uh, some of the messaging back and forth between uh, the airplanes as well, which is always really cool. Mm-hmm. So listening and watching that stuff at the same time kind of gives you a little bit more. In fact, if you can do the same thing now with, uh, not now, but for a while with uh, marine traffic as well, right? You can plot out, there's the ship plotter programs you can use, which basically do the exact same thing. You know, it's it's beaconing where the vessels are with their name and whatnot. And same deal goes with amateur radio. They've got that with uh, APRS. So uh, it is really cool to be able to visualize what it is that you're listening to over the air. So it's, it's, it's really cool to be able to do all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So as far as rail monitoring, what else uh, before we, we split, is there any other little tidbit or suggestion or advice you would give to somebody who is uh, going to be trying this out or will be entering the hobby uh to do rail monitoring yes if you uh do go trackside um to go watch trains um always do it legally um don't ever go on railroad property um i always um make sure if i i i, I was a big picture taker so um i used uh i used to have a nikon DSLR camera and unfortunately I don't have it anymore but um, I may I may try to get another one here but just make sure you're you're doing it legally you're on public property not on railroad property um, also um, make sure never to take pictures of trains while on the tracks or anything like that just always be safety minded because a train could be coming any direction at any time and you don't want to get hurt always use um safety common sense um when you're when you're out and about uh watching trains um okay and do it legally and then one more question because i have to be that guy how you know with the with the whole thing with the ask you know see something say something do you hear of a lot of people that are out there and just walking around with with their scanners along the rail line do you seem to get the impression that, that draws negative attention from people who don't understand what's going on or does it just seem like i guess it depends where you are if you're in a rural rural area versus in a metropolitan area walking around with a scanner you know watching the trains do you bring yourself into a, a negative spotlight a little bit i guess is to to uh to say it depends on where you're at um okay. where i rail fan here 
um, in the uh, more rural parts. Um, I mean, we're not rural by any means. Um, or urban, but I have been questioned down in Chicago of what I was doing, where I was at by um, a police officer. And I simply said, hey, I'm watching trains. He saw my scanner and he just simply asked me some questions. And um, I understood it with big security now, um, after especially 9-11, a lot of times rail fans do kind of stick out and sometimes look suspicious by taking pictures of trains. And if, if you are ever approached, always cooperate, always say, Hey, this is what I'm doing. Um, and usually in this case, uh, nothing happened. Um, I was just questioned and, um, I moved along and, um, I was, I was in a legal, um, public space. Um, but somebody had called, um, wondering what I was doing. So, gotcha. um, just, just, just be careful and, uh, just make sure that you're um, doing it safely and legally. So, right. And don't, and don't look shifty. <laughs> you know? Correct. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Excellent. Well, Joe, I want to thank you so much for, uh, for taking the time tonight, especially, I mean, we're recording this on a Saturday night, Thanksgiving weekend. So I want to thank yep. you for for taking the time and, um, you know, discussing this part of the hobby. And I mean, admittedly, you know, this isn't a, a huge part of what it is I listen to. Like I said, I dabble in a little bit just to, uh, you know, keep my finger on the pulse, but it, it, it comes and goes, you know, it's not really the main part mm-hmm. of what I listen to. So it's always cool to listen to and, and to talk to somebody who does this. And this is what their passion is when it comes to scanning. And, uh, you know, that's why I asked you to, to come on and kind of share uh, what it is that draws you to the monitoring of the rail systems and, and what, what uh, you know, why you do it. And um, it sounds like, you know, definitely your your backyard is different from my backyard. You know, you have the freights coming through and, and, and different kinds of trains rolling in and, you know, it, you, you're, you're doing the photography. And here, you know, I have mostly commuter lines. And then after commuter lines are basically on, on an hour schedule or taking a break, that's when they roll the one freight line in down through here, which is, you know, pretty much, you know, five cars long. So it's, it's not, mm-hmm. you know, the mile long train that uh, uh, blocks traffic for a half an hour. So... It's a little bit of a different world. So Yep. Yep. In fact, Waukesha, we have so many crossings with out grade separation. People get stuck by trains constantly here in Waukesha and it drives people up the wall. So interesting. <laughs> um, yeah. I can I can correlate with uh getting stuck by trains. Um here in Waukesha. So. Excellent. All right. Well, Joe, well, I want to, again, thank you very much for coming on and um, we'll, uh, we'll be in touch soon. Thanks again. Okay. Sounds good. All right. Joe, thank you so much for being part of Scanner School. I really appreciate it. I hope that everybody learned a little bit more about scanning the rail system. I would assume that it's the same here in North America, whether you're in uh, Mexico in the United States or in Canada. I'm, I'm sure things are just slightly different based on rulings, but I'm sure the, uh, the the gist of how to scan is the same. And I would also like to believe it's the same in other countries as well. But if it's not, let me know. We would certainly love to have you on as a guest on the podcast. And of course, you could talk about whatever it is you're passionate about when it comes to scanning by going to scannerschool.com slash guest. 
On there, you'll see a calendar with my availability. And basically, you just pick a time that works for the two of us and you book your uh, interview or your guest appearance on the podcast. It's very simple. Now, if you want to be a guest and our dates and times don't align, just let me know and I'll try and it'll broke my schedule to be a little bit more flexible to work for you. So again, I want to thank Joe for coming on and being a guest on this podcast. And again, if you would like to be a guest, again, scannerschool.com slash guest. I am looking, actively looking for more people to come on and share their scanning stories. So with that, I want to say thank you very much for listening. Again, if you haven't subscribed yet, scannerschool.com slash subscribe. And we will catch you all again next week. Scanner School's copyright 2020, Monitor Long Island, Inc. My name is Phil Lichtenberger. My call sign is W2LIE. And this is Scanner School, where we teach everything you need to know about the scanner radio hobby. 73, everyone.